0: Hello everyone, welcome back to ESPN Scrum 5, ESPN's podcast review of rugby in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm Andy Withers from ESPN, I'm joined by two guests for the first episode of the season. Sam Pruce, Associate Editor of ESPN in Australia, how are you Sam?
1: Hi Andy, yeah great to be back for another season of Scrum 5, really enjoying the Super Rugby so far and uh, pleased to have a new man on the deck. Exactly, Pete Faber,
0: Communication Manager from Ruper, the Players Association here in Australia. How are you Pete? G'day Andy, Sam, I'm doing well, looking forward to uh, my first appearance. And uh, been a good start to the season I think.
2: It's been a wonderful start to the season. Um, All of a sudden the weekends are filling up with rugby and uh, it's
0: great, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's it's certainly a bit like that and uh, before all the other competitions really kick on. So the big news of the week so far, David Pocock, Sam, he's uh, re-signed with the Australian Rugby Union, uh, one-year sabbatical
1: and staying with Australian rugby. Yeah, massive news came through uh, early on Wednesday morning uh, while the Brumbies were away in South Africa, of all places, uh, facing the Stormers over there this week. But, yeah, two-year deal, well, three-year deal, I guess, with the one-year sabbatical. Mm -hmm. We'll see him play through to the Rugby World Cup in japan in 2019 he'll remain with the brumbies uh of course there was a bit of interest from the reds uh, from a super rugby perspective and also that massive offer from wasps in london uh great news for australian rugby we all saw how dominant he was at the breakdown at the tackle during the world cup and um you know gives uh, michael checker really the ability to lock away that plan i know we've got some issues around michael checker's future (laughs) potentially as Greg Groudon has told us over the last couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, it allows him to persist with uh, that combo of of David Pocock and Michael Hooper, which was so successful at the World Cup. Yeah. and um, Pete, quite apart from the ability that he's, he's staying, what he does for the Wallabies and
0: for the Brumbies, how important is it just for Australian rugby to maintain the talent, to keep the talent at home? Yeah, look, I don't think you can underestimate how important it is to, uh,
2: to be able to re-sign somebody like David, who's clearly one of if not the best players in the world Um, it shows how highly regarded he is that his start to the super rugby question of uh, season sorry a few people have questioned whether he's been a little bit off and that just shows the incredibly high standards (laughs) to which he's held because I think he's been fantastic Um, and and in, in regards to keeping our best talent here that's what we all want the 60-7 and seven rule was obviously introduced last year to enable Michael Checker to, to pick some very experienced players who are playing abroad, but ultimately we want to see the best Australian team filled with the best Australian players playing
0: in Australia, and, and David certainly fits that yeah. category. And, and I guess also a boost for, for the other players in Australia, the, the, almost the younger players who, who are coming through to get the opportunity to play against David, to, to train with him if they're in the Brumbies environment. Ready key that way, I think, as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really the fourth key retention from the Brumbies in the last month or so in regards to obviously Christian Lealiifano, Ella Latoa, and um, and also Scott Seo. And not only do these guys get a, a huge boost from playing alongside somebody of David's stature, but also you look at at other players within the Wallaby setup, someone like Sean McMahon, who mm-hmm. referenced just how much he learnt from David Pocock during the Rugby World Cup campaign, and have a look at the start to his season with the Melbourne Rebels. Yep. So. I just think overall it's wonderful commitment from David. Clearly he's put um, the desire to play for Australia and to play in Australia ahead of his bank balance in this instance, I think we can all admit that. So it, it's just a wonderful thing to see for Australian rugby and, and a really good way to kind of, uh, I suppose, offset the trend of
0: players moving abroad. Yeah, it's always good to see that. And, and Sam, I guess more than anything, a real boost for the Brumbies. I mean, they've made a, a fantastic start to the season. But this is key development for them. You know, they've they, Kept a few players. They potentially they've lost players from the back end of
1: last season, um, but this is this is a really good development for them. Yeah, it's huge for them. Obviously, you've got Stephen Moore returning to the Queensland Reds from next season. Uh, Matt Tamu is heading off mm-hmm. overseas. Nick White, Jesse Jesse Mog, uh, Joe Tamani's heading off as well. So there's going to be quite an exodus. Uh, from the Brumbies at the end of this season Which is why they've put such a focus on winning the title this year And, and Stephen Larkin has said as much You know, They feel that pressure, they want to deliver And uh, this will surely give them a bit of a boost over there in Cape Town uh, Ahead of them uh, facing the Stormers on Saturday night Yeah, and uh, what's been the key, Sam, to their, their start of their season? Because, I mean,
0: that, that performance at Week 1 against the, the Hurricanes Was just outstanding they'll, they'll probably struggle to make a better performance all year than that
1: I don't think I've seen a tick, a team sorry, look as slick as they did in round one, in a round one match. Um, probably against the Waratahs the following week, uh, they really had to grind that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bit of niggle in it, which we're going to get to, which I've enjoyed. Um, their scrum is going really well. Uh, obviously, Tamura and Lee Lofano have just reprised their roles that they've been mm-hmm. filling so well over the last few years um, and they've just had got this really settled squad I think from last year bar those couple of departures like Nick White and, and Jesse Mogg and obviously they've recruited Thomas Cabelli there at number 9, the, the Argentine uh, scrum half who's really uh, added to their running game in, in tight around the fringes so yeah they've uh, they've had three good wins obviously getting that one in Perth uh, last Friday night mm-hmm. over the four so they really had to work for that one as well, the are improving But, um, yeah, if they can get certainly uh, one or maybe two wins in South Africa, come home, set themselves up uh, back in Australasia, then they're going to be pretty tough to run down from there, I'd say. Yeah, and and Pete, fair to say that the Brumbies seem to have a a more
0: dynamic game plan than than perhaps they had last year, where, you know, we we seem to remember just driving malls last year, really, and they've got a lot more than driving malls to their arsenal this year. Yeah, 100%. Uh,
2: Christian Lalefano has been speaking about how he's been almost taking the role of substitute backs coach, but... Two of the main knocks on the Brumbies previously have been, A, their lack of attacking potency and, B, the the depth within the squad, and I think you can't underestimate what we've seen from the Brumbies bench as well. Guys like Les Macon, Josh Man Ray, Nigel R. Wong, Tom Staniforth coming off the bench and having such an impact and really showing that the increased depth in Canberra might actually be the thing that gets them across the line. Because at the end of the day, Andy Sam, we know that uh, injuries... going to happen they're inevitable Um, we've seen already a number of serious injuries in the super rugby season all across the board so that depth will be so so important and like you say that added attacking potency joe tamani's been a revelation out there on the wing and it's just really exciting to see for Brumbies fans and great for australian rugby fans to
0: see a team you know, playing at such a high standard. For sure. Now I'm not, I'm not going to put you on the fence and we're not going to go the early crow on saying that they're, they're winning titles and conferences but suffice to say that they're looking very, very good at this stage of the season and it would be really good to see how they develop through the rest of the year and, and hopefully into a finals campaign. Um, Sam, you've alluded just a while ago to the second point that we're going to talk about and you, you wrote in Pick and Go Uh, on Monday about these little bit testy performances that, that we've had. Certainly physical edge in the Australian derbies and you've really
1: enjoyed seeing it. I have, yeah. Certainly I think it's always been a feature of the Australian derbies uh, since we went into the conference system there a few years ago. But it just seems to have a little bit of extra edge this year. Uh, The Waratahs and Brumbies, you know, had to be separated there a fortnight ago in Canberra. Well, no, but certainly um, someone got to Matt Tamur, didn't they? I don't know. (laughs) I think we've probably all seen the picture of him looking a little worse for wear, and Tolu Lado managing to serve his one-week suspension. By Sydney Club Rugby, but we shan't get onto that. Um, yeah, it's it's just had a real edge, and I think that's probably, you know, Michael Checker went out to the Super Rugby franchises during the pre-season. Um, I know he met with the Waratahs and Brumbies the following morning after that match, as he did tend to do last year ahead of the World Cup, and I'm sure that's a clear directive this year. He wants to see physical... Aggression um, and really sort of two teams going hard at it. We saw last Friday in, in Perth, Matt Hodgson and, and Stephen Moore, the captains. You know, they just about had to be separated as well and having a few words. And with England coming out here, they are up for the Grand Slam this weekend if they defeat Paris, uh, defeat France in Paris. Um, and they're going to arrive here in June with Eddie Jones leading them. They're certainly looking a, a hell of a lot like a different team to what we saw at the World Cup. Um, and they've they reverted to their power game. You know, Stuart Lancaster had this this desire to want to play rugby like Southern Hemisphere sides. I think we worked out they can't do that. Eddie's taken them back to the old school game. It's going to be physical. It's going to be a great test series, and I think that uh, Michael Chek has anticipated that and really sent this out as a clear directive for the five Australian franchises. Yeah, and we'll get to the England series in a moment,
0: but, but Pete, Sam also mentioned in his piece that perhaps that you know, we saw that the Wallabies through the Rugby World Cup, and then they got to the final. And it, certainly in the first half, they were outmuscled by by the All Blacks. You sort of thinking and hearing anything that this is almost a response to that? That the, the check wants his players to to be upping that physical ante. Yeah, well, I mean, the the proof is in what you see on your television screens
2: or when you're at the games. There's clearly been a directive, whether that's come from check directly to the players in these <laughs> uh, Wallaby meetings, or whether that's come you know filtered through the super rugby coaches clearly there is an added element of aggression in the australian teams this year it'll be really interesting to see um when we see more uh, interconference mm-hmm. matches whether that aggression continues against say the new zealand franchises yeah, yeah. and the south africans because i think there is and i know we're going to speak on it later a real opportunity for australian rugby this year um in regards to taking advantage of perhaps a, a post rugby world cup hangover from new zealand so Really looking forward to seeing some of those Aussie teams in action against some of the Kiwi teams and seeing whether they bring that same aggression um, starting this weekend with the Waratahs and Highlanders. But it's been great to see. I think um, Benny Meehan standing up to Matt Hodgson was quite entertaining <laughs> in round one. one. Yeah. Um, and
0: Hodjo's clearly spent his year on the sidelines uh, with a serious injury last year, getting ready to come back out. and. Uh, I mean, has anyone spilt spelt more claret than Matt Hodgson this year? I mean, that, that forehead just opens up a weekly,
1: doesn't it? He's never going to be a male model, that's
0: for sure. <laughs> Um, Guys, we've kind of mentioned there that we're wondering whether there is a a little bit of a a hangover in in New Zealand uh, from the World Cup. And, uh, Pete, you've just mentioned it there, that there is talking in in New Zealand that that maybe their players have just taken their eye off the ball a little bit. And is there a thought that perhaps they're... The New Zealand game, the games in New Zealand this season perhaps haven't been as good as we would have expected maybe apart from the Highlanders round one and round three yeah look it's probably a fair a fair call um, there has been some quality
2: um, in the Lions touring New Zealand against the Chiefs and the Highlanders I think the Lions from South Africa are a really good team and um, we shouldn't underestimate um, how good they are and how hard the Highlanders mm-hmm. had to work to beat them For and sure. how, how um you know, we shouldn't overplay the Chiefs loss to them and necessarily write the Chiefs off. One thing I've learnt, I was lucky enough to live in New Zealand for a number of years, and um, you, you just don't write them off. No, because at sure. the end of the day, it's a rugby factory and you know that you've got quality players coming through. You know, you look at the Crusaders, Dan Carter moves abroad, Colin Slade, Tom Taylor, three world-class yep. fly halves, and Richie Mawanga, a 20-year-old, steps up, or 19-year-old, and is absolutely killing it. So I wouldn't write them off. However, in saying that... however. Clearly, that it is fair to suggest that the same standards that we've come to expect from the New Zealand conference in years gone by haven't quite been met yet, and there are a number of reasons for that. One of them being perhaps that player exodus. Mm-hmm. Another being that um, there's a number of All Blacks who are either injured, you know Brody Retallick, Dane That's Coles, sure. um, and and I suppose a number of players who are being eased back into it off. Um, shorter pre-seasons we've got players who've been involved in the sevens program the Sevilla brothers coming kind of in and out and this sort of thing there's clearly uh, not the same level of uh, dominance or, or not the same level
0: of expected play from the New Zealand teams thus far yeah and and I guess you know just to to clarify that there's no one in here who's saying they're not going to be winning the title (laughs) and New Zealand rugby's in decline far from it Sam you've you've made the point to me in the office as well that that with the Highlanders perhaps they might be in a better place than than the others because they have maintained their three key All Blacks Uh, you know the other franchises have lost players Um, obviously the Highlanders have lost players but their three key pillars the All Blacks Uh, Ben Smith Aaron Smith and Malachi Fakatawa, also Lima Sokwanga who's who's played a test they've maintained those three players and and that's a key part of that stability they've got
1: yeah I think we've sort of all been looking ahead to the All Blacks and how this exodus is going to affect New Zealand going forward and Ramifications for the Bledisloe, and I think probably on this side of the Tasman, we're hoping that that might uh, contribute to a bit of a, a downturn in performance this season. But we shall see. Uh, but certainly across the franchises, you look at Conrad Smith and Ma Nono gone yep. from the Hurricanes. Um, uh, Pete mentioned about the Crusaders' exit, obviously Richie McCaw and Dan Carter and, and Tom Taylor and, and Colin Slade, and, and then even at the Blues, you Tony Woodcock and yep. Kevin Milamu. While they were certainly at the end of their careers, you can, probably can't put a value on the experience. That those players bring property, isn't it? absolutely. Um, you know, week to week at training, just around around the training sheds and and everything. And I think we probably, you know, you take big figures like that out of franchises, out of clubs, and uh, it certainly leaves a massive hole. So I'm sure that we're going to see uh, these five sides improve. But it has been interesting to sort of watch the Highlanders, and, and while they were pipped in the opening week by the Blues, they've certainly looked pretty good in the last two weeks and and certainly going to arrive in Sydney for the the semi-final rematch with the Waratahs Um, you know I think probably the the favourites for that one Yeah and and Pete just briefly we're not previewing the
0: game but the the Waratahs and the Highlanders that might just be the pick of the games that we've seen so far obviously the the Waratahs maybe not quite in the form that we'd like but the the Highlanders were were very very good last week and there's that little bit of a history between the two from from Super Rugby semi-finals last year
2: Yeah absolutely and there's uh, you know I think there was probably a 10 minute of passage of play last week from the Highlanders against the Lions, which was as close to the Brumbies as we've seen from anybody in the Super Rugby season. And there's so many great individual battles, you know, Phipps versus Smith, Zach Guilford coming up against a a New Zealand team, potentially Reese Robinson getting uh, his first crack at Super Rugby, let alone, you know, the Highlanders' unheralded back row coming up against Michael Hooper and
0: and the Waratahs' back row. So it's going to be a great contest. Yeah, and something to, to look forward to, both sides of the Tasman. Um, One of the key parts of Super Rugby this season, guys, has been the expansion, Uh, and Sam, you, and and Groudy, um, you went head-to-head, hammer and tongs, over the value of the expansion, but just wouldn't mind getting some thoughts on on these three new teams that have come in, the the Sunwolves in Japan, the Jaguares in Argentina, and the Southern Kings in South Africa. Certainly the the Japanese and the Argentinian teams, um, they've made a a pretty decent fist of of their, their debut seasons today.
1: They have, and I think we've certainly got what we expected. Probably not, um, I mean, the Sun they haven't had a win, but they've played some good rugby yeah. in the two games uh, they've played so far. Probably should have beaten uh, the uh, Cheetahs there at the weekend, but um, certainly the Kings, I mean, yeah, look, we, we, <laughs> we knew this was coming. Um, They're an absolute basket case uh, since they were announced as coming back in. Um, Off field turmoil, um, allegations of um, standover tactics, players not being paid, they didn't have a coach. Um, Players uh, weren't signed up until about the last sort of four to six weeks before yep. the season start, And, you know, it's we, we knew this was coming. Um, but what's the answer? They're locked away, I assume, with the five years of the broadcast deal, this new broadcast deal. Um, and we know that South Africa have got issues with player retention as it is. Uh, more and more players heading to, to Europe and Japan. So um, they just look like they're going to be the whipping boys, don't yeah. they? Um, and I honestly... I can't see them getting a win this year unless, you know, they, they topple the Sunwolves when they <laughs> travel down to Port Elizabeth. It's, it's going to be a long year for them.
0: Yeah, and, and Pete, how, how important is it for the Sunwolves in particular? Obviously, there's a, a rising force in Japan and, uh, and we all fell in love with the Japanese team through Rugby World Cup. They've made a good start in terms of the way they're playing rugby and it's, it's probably, given that the next World Cup is in Japan, they're a really, really, really important addition to, to the competition, I think. Yeah, they definitely are. I think um, yeah, credit needs to be paid
2: because they've had such a short pre-season yeah, together. Yeah, for sure. Clearly there were a number of administrative problems um, in the lead-up. Late appointment of Mark Hammett as coach. And you know, they did have serious struggles assembling what you know looked like a, a quality squad on paper. We've got guys like Goromaru and Tanaka and Matsushima all playing for teams in Australasia. So ultimately I think they would have liked to have, to have had all of those players playing in the Japanese team. However, in fairness to them, what they've done is they've recruited smartly in terms of players such as Tusi Pisi, mm. um, Villioen, Ed Quirk, These this small pocket of foreigners who are really complementing the Japanese players that they do have. Um, I, I think depth is where... They're going to struggle, and I think we saw that when their front row was replaced against the Cheetahs. It was probably the difference in the yep. end. Um, Shotohori and and, Kata and Agaki, these guys who've spent time down in Australia and uh, are probably a little bit more conditioned for Super Rugby. When they were replaced, they really did drop away, but you've got to give it to them. They've come out and had a real crack. Yamada on the wing is, is fantastic. Another guy who benefited, I think, from a year over in Perth with the force. And um, it's great for, for rugby. It's great for Australian rugby, certainly, to have this extended presence in Asia that we yeah. haven't had before. I think it's great for the competition. It might take a little while for them to produce the results we want them to, but, um, no, I'm really looking forward to the Rebels being the first Aussie team to go there this weekend, and I believe they're actually playing for the, the Shotahori Perpetual Trophy. Uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> one of the first teams looking to uh, to highlight the links there, perhaps, and, and maybe look for a Japanese sponsor on the front of the jersey. I
1: don't know. And I, and I think we've got to look long term too. You know, we've got to think about Japan coming in and joining the rugby championship. For sure. Maybe, Absolutely. obviously, not during this broadcast deal, but how good would Five Nations be? In that tournament, we could go to you know home I be a couple of extra tests, but I think um, you know bringing that market in financially as well would be For massive, sure. uh, and the interest levels. So yeah, huge going through to the World Cup in Japan, but let's you know let's look beyond that as well. And and the Sunwolves, I think they'll, they'll be a really good addition to uh, to Super Rugby. Yeah, and I guess just just finally on this point,
0: um, if you can just get your thoughts on on the Jaguars because I know we look at their squad on paper, um, incredibly strong squad. They won their first game, they were touched off in the second. Argentina, one of the success stories of Rugby World Cup and particularly the way they developed their game plan there. Um, The Jaguars again, like the Sunwolves for Japan, they're a really important development for the game in Argentina, I think.
2: Yeah, 100%, Uh, you know, you've got to really respect the way the Argentinian Rugby Union came out and said, if you don't come back and play Super Rugby, you won't be eligible for Puma's selection. I think that was just such a wonderful statement that showed how seriously they were going to take the competition mm-hmm. right from the get-go. And it probably won't last forever. They'll probably uh, relax that policy in years to come, but what a great way to ensure they've got the strongest possible Jaguars team to start with. They've had a few problems with discipline, Sam, but uh, overall... <laughs> What's <I'd>, new? <laughs> yeah, I think you know, we're quite likely to see them lining up in finals at
0: the end of the year, which is exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great thought, isn't it? Um, guys, we, we, we mentioned earlier um, England. They have won the Six Nations with a, a, a week to spare, um, chasing the Grand Slam against uh, France in Paris. Sam Bruce, great start for Eddie Jones tenure over
1: there. It certainly has been, yeah, fast Eddie. Uh, it's been uh, certainly interesting watching from afar, from uh, down under. He's, certainly, he's reverted, as we mentioned earlier, to just going back to what works well for England, you know. Um, just a power game up front. I think Billy Vernapola seems to be a new player. Yeah. Um, certainly our colleague in uh, in London Tom Hamilton has been waxing lyrical over uh, Billy Vernapolo there at number 8 for England um, and he's gone with his combination of George Ford and uh, Owen Farrell yep. at 10 and 12 which you know is let's say it's pretty negative they're just going to kick they're going to be power game Tui Lange on the way back as well I think came off the bench at the weekend. So it's going back to what has worked well for England. What worked when they won the World Cup out here in 2003 when they had the likes of Johnson and Delalio and, and Neil back and, and these guys. Um, and I think probably it's what we're going to see when England arrive out here in June. Uh, looking around, certainly the rest of the Six Nations are pleased to see Scotland get a couple of wins because um, you know they, uh, they certainly look to be on the improvement there at the World Cup. Um, Ireland I think have been largely disappointing and and Wales, um, you know, have, have been a bit mixed as well. They seem to play pretty awful rugby there for about 65, 70 minutes yep. at Twickenham on Saturday night, but um, then stormed home in the final 10 minutes, but had just left their run a little bit late. So, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting Six Nations, and certainly I think we'll be watching this weekend to see whether England can wrap up a, a first Grand Slam in, in a long while, I think. Yeah. And, and, and Pete, it's, it's kind of interesting, the, the fact that
0: Eddie Jones, you know, thoughtful, erudite Australian coach, has gone to England. And has maintained what works for England in the past. Um, I think it's fair to say that he's, he will look to develop that over a period of time. Um, and it's also been noticeable, I think, that he has really praised Chris Robshaw. I mean, a player that he was outspoken about when he wasn't coach. He's changed him from the seven to the six, and he's basically spoken very, very highly of him as, as being the key man in in, in this, the, the team's development this year.
2: Yeah, I think as a you yeah, know as a comms and media professional. Watching Eddie Jones over the last <laughs> few months has been probably my favourite storyline of rugby so far this year. He's it's good um, to have him back, isn't it? It's fantastic to have him back, and it's uh, he's provided some wonderful, not only some wonderful quotes, but those classic moments where he stares down journalists or um, just laughs at them when they ask questions. But it's been really good to see, um, and it, what it's doing is it's going to allow uh, the Australian rugby public to really build from the momentum of the Rugby World Cup was such a huge June series. I mean, yeah. it's it's probably the most eagerly anticipated series, with the exception of the British and Irish Lions Tour, of the last five or six yeah. years of, of a mid-year series. Um, England not only come down here with a genuine chance of, of actually winning the series, and that's, you know, just total credit to them and, ha- and how they've played to their strengths during the Six Nations, but the Eddie Jones sideshow comes on the road <laughs> and, you know, Checker vs Jones. He, yesterday, I think Eddie Jones said he, it was going to be like a Bodyline line like. series, uh, which I just thought was a wonderful little soundbite to uh, make sure he, he got his name in the papers back over here. And I, I can't wait. I found it fascinating to watch. Uh, Eddie Jones works the media you know, really like no other coach in, in any sport that I can think of in the world. Um, and some of the uh, super rugby coaches could probably learn a thing or two by, by studying Eddie and, <laughs> and the ways he,
0: he uses the media to his advantage. Exactly. Uh, and Sam Arcola, Greg what we know he's looking forward to the series. I mean, he, he's alluded that Eddie Jones and Michael Checker press conferences, it's, you can sell tickets that are probably more valuable than to the tests themselves, I think.
1: He is. He may even get himself to a press conference, Greg. <laughs> for the first time in a while. But no, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to going on the road there for a couple of weeks. In June, uh, it's going to be a fascinating series. Um, of course, the Sydney Test being played at Allianz Stadium as well, which will no doubt uh, please the, the fickle Sydney punters. Um, it promises to be a really, really good series and one I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah. That's all in the future. We have plenty of Super Rugby to come
0: in the meantime. That's all we have time for this week on ESPN Scrum 5. Sam, Pete, thanks for your time. Really enjoyed having you here and uh, look forward to having you back in the studio through the rest of the season. Thank you very much, guys. Bye bye.